This is episode 180 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, How Rules and Laws Pervert Salary Negotiations. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. A client asked me a couple of weeks ago for advice about how to negotiate his salary for a potential new job. And this is a question that comes up frequently for many people. Today, I want to talk about how to discover the right salary for a job. We'll leave negotiation tactics for another day. But I also want to talk about how legislation and company policies can thwart that process and really work against candidates and companies. So the first thing that I said to him is assume that there is a correct salary that should be paid for that position. The right approach is to assume that it's up to the two of you, you and the company, to figure out what that salary is. The most important starting place to discover what that salary is, is data. So you want to figure out what the position is worth on the open market. And that's really the starting place for salary negotiation. And so it requires you to do some research, both on your uh, side and also on the company side. There are other factors, you know, such as benefits and time off, whether or not the position offers the opportunity for upward mobility, commute time, impact on your personal life. All those other things can go into it eventually, but you do want to establish what the correct base salary is, and that's the most important step. What's really great now in these uh, more recent decades is that that kind of salary information is much more available than it used to be. And so you can use websites like Glassdoor, Indeed. Recruiters are often an excellent and really professional source of information. Salary websites and surveys often offer a wealth of information that really allow you to home in on what the market value of a position is. And, you know, some people are going to say, oh, you know, my position is unique. Uh, It's too special to have a value on the open market. And I would say in response, trust me, unless your job is flower picker on the moon, it's just not that unique. And with a bit of humility, you can figure it out. One side benefit of this approach to salary negotiation is that it puts you and the company on the same side. So you can think of it as a problem that the two of you are trying to solve together. And that sets up, you know, a great starting place for your relationship going forward when you're going to be 
addressing much harder problems than your starting salary together. There is a right answer, and when you arrive at it, you should both be convinced that that's the right answer or pretty darn near and when that uh, final offer is struck and accepted. I want to dispatch a couple of other counter-arguments here because they just confuse the issue, uh, but they can pick up momentum. Some people will argue that the market shouldn't be setting salaries because it's not fair. And maybe that's true. Uh, But I would say, you know what, life isn't fair, so sorry about that. The problem is if you don't let the market enter into your calculations, you're going to have other worse problems. If you're paying someone too little, in other words, you're paying them below the market value, they will leave. It may take them a while, but they will leave. And that will cost you in other ways. If you're paying someone too much above market, for instance, then this definitely happens. It's not even that uncommon. You're doing a disservice to your company, to your investors, your other employees, and potentially even to that employee. So sit up and take note, you board members out there who are paying your CEOs millions of dollars too much. You are doing a disservice to your stakeholders. I would argue that both overpaying and underpaying lead to turnover and bad feelings because it's not objective, and that is inherently problematic. If you pay someone a fair salary, you'll feel good about it, and so should they. Sometimes it takes a while, right, to understand each other, but frank, open dialogue about compensation is a good thing and a good exercise for all of us to engage in. Now, here's how interference in that process backfires. So let's start with California's legislation about salary history which isn't good, but it isn't as bad as the next thing that we're going to talk about, which is truly awful. Getting lawmakers involved in negotiations between organizations and individuals who are looking to sell their talents and their elbow grease, their work, uh, their initiative, and so forth, is usually a bad idea. Because lawmakers don't make laws out of the goodness of their hearts. They are looking to score political points with certain constituencies, and so the result is often perverted. In addition, they often get it wrong. They don't understand the details well enough to think it through, and so the final outcome is often the opposite of what they were hoping to achieve. And that's what has happened with the law about salary history. Beginning in 2018, California forbade employers from asking applicants to disclose their salary history, which was common practice, and still is actually, in my experience, despite the law, to the contrary. I guess employers just can't be troubled to modify their form. So I still see lots of applications that still have the space in there for the hourly rate for your former jobs. Anyway, the purpose of the legislation was ostensibly to chip away at the gender and racial pay gaps with the idea that women and minorities would never make as much as white men if they came into every position handicapped by their previous poor salaries. So there's lots to unpack here and argue about, but, but, let, but let's just take that at face value. 
But let's think this through for about 30 seconds. The law doesn't prohibit the company from asking what the applicant's expectation is for their salary, nor does it prohibit the employee from providing historical information voluntarily. So I guess you could argue, well, we're not telling these people that they have to fill in that place on the application, although certainly it implies that you're expecting that when you put that space in there. But again, it's only people who are in the know, right, who are going to be able to protect themselves. So what you predict would happen is exactly what has happened. Kind-hearted applicants who want to be helpful and also are concerned that they might be perceived as difficult and so not get an offer at all, in other words, poor negotiators, offer up their expectations about what they think their salary should be and their history, and naturally the company gets to use that information to negotiate the lowest possible salary that you can get that individual to work for with no regard for what the position is worth on the open market. Meanwhile, tough-minded, self-confident individuals, in other words, good negotiators and people who are well-informed, will present data supporting a market-based salary. They won't provide information about their previous salaries, and they'll, they won't fill in that little box on the form, and they will get a better deal, thus reinforcing the alleged pay gaps. So let me say that again. This legislation has the potential to backfire, making the pay gap between white males versus women and minorities worse. Or I would say the pay gap between good negotiators and poor negotiators worse. And I'm going to make a short side trip here because this isn't just theory. I've had women describe their salary negotiation quote-unquote tactics, if you can call it that, to me, and explain why they provided salary information, salary history information, because they would say, I knew they wanted to know. Wow, that's nice. Or I thought it was reasonable. Hmm, Okay. Or even better, they could find out anyway. And then, even more of a little side trip here, explain to me why the open market value didn't apply to this position that they were applying for. And, that you know, I'm sitting here shaking my head. They would say things like, I knew that they couldn't afford to pay what the position is really worth. Just think about that for a minute. Or they would say, it's not about the money. You can imagine how this one makes me cringe in pain, or pathetically, I just wanted an offer. That's tough. Do good negotiators talk like this? No, they do not. So the legislation only exaggerates the outcomes between the good negotiators and the bad negotiators, which wasn't going to be remedied by legislation anyway. It would have been much better, in my opinion, to pour all the money that went into whining and dining the legislators to get that legislation passed into negotiation skills workshops for the general public. It's not that hard to teach someone to be a good or at least a better negotiator. So that's bad. But that's not as bad as this other horrible thing I'm going to tell you about. 
Some institutions have established a cap on how much the salary of an internal candidate can rise when they accept a new position. Say, and this is a real-life example, 15%, for example. This is truly perverse. Not only does this ignore the market value of a position, it absolutely locks in any potential pay discrimination because of gender or ethnicity or poor negotiating skills. So to see how mind-blowing this is, let's just play pretend for a moment. I'll be the institution and you be the applicant. So here is me welcoming you into my office to talk about this uh, internal application that you've submitted. And I say, hello, mail clerk. Thank you so much for applying for this VP of operations position. And I see that you have worked for the past 15 years in high-level ops positions before you took the mail clerk position in our company. And I have to ask you, why on earth were you working as a mail clerk? And then you say back to me, it was all I could get during the recession. Uh, Side note here, newsflash, this actually happens during recessions and depressions and things like pandemics. You go on to say, I have to make a living, and I actually thought I would learn quite a bit about the company by working in the mailroom. How smart. And then you say, when the VP position came open, I was ecstatic. And I say, so are we. You look ideal for this position, and your internal references are really outstanding. The only thing is, because of our internal rules, we'd only be able to offer you a 15% increase over your mail clerk salary, and that comes out to be $35,000 a year for this VP position. I'm not sure what you were going to say there but it's not going to be good. All right, I'm not going to belabor the point because you get the idea. It's super dumb to have policies like that, and it perverts the salary negotiation process. If some CFO thought that up in order to cap costs, they should be educated about the cost of turnover and then fired. Someone who can't figure that out on their own shouldn't work as a CFO. And if this policy is in place in a Fortune 500 company or an institution of higher learning who otherwise espouses their commitment to reducing the gender pay gap or Black Lives Matter or whatever the enlightened topic of the day is, that's even more ironic. We're going to go back to this idea of using your brain in a second, but I want to cover one more corporate policy that's really dumb. It's it's really Funny, but also sad to me when companies adopt policies that are an attempt really fundamentally to make their lives easier, because when you're dealing with humans, it almost never works. So here's another one. After Ellen Powell became the interim CEO at Reddit in 2015, she announced publicly that the company would not be negotiating starting salaries. Blam. She made that announcement. I started laughing at that point. Her stated intention was to protect women who aren't good negotiators from suffering from lower pay than people who are good negotiators. And she said, this is for women who are poor negotiators. Leaving all of those uh, sexist comments aside, 
As is often the case, plans to, quote, protect women are often really bad ideas. And if you think about this for, as I say, less than a minute, you'll see how this won't work. This might be your stated policy, but behind the scenes, I mean in real life, of course you're going to negotiate. When you have your eye on a talented individual and you're up against a competitor, we do know that Silicon Valley is competitive, and you're trying to land that person, you will negotiate. You may try to make it look as though you're not negotiating, but you are certainly going to turn on the perks, talk about vacation, stock options, signing bonuses, gym memberships, company cars, travel benefits, home purchases, and on and on. Under enough pressure from candidates and hiring managers with clout, they'll negotiate base salaries too. So that policy is doomed to be a lie. And it's also doomed to work against women because some women will be fooled into thinking that, okay, hiring salaries aren't negotiable and will obey the, quote, rules, while aggressive people, often guys, will test the waters to see what is negotiable. And again, the ones who advocate effectively for themselves win. It is astonishing how bad ideas like salary history legislation, internal salary increase caps, and goofy declarations about salary negotiations get initiated, perpetuated, and entrenched, thereby perverting what should be a freewheeling, forthright dialogue between a worker and a potential employer about how much someone's work is worth. So let's talk about your brain for a second. It really behooves you to think critically about proposals like this that emerge and which sound good. Be wary of the ones that people are mindlessly signing on to without thinking through the consequences. If you are a true friend to women, men, and pay equity, you'll be cautious about jumping on somebody's politically correct bandwagon when issues come forth that create a false impression of equality, but don't really help the people that you think you're helping and in fact may be hurting them. So let's recap so you have a nice takeaway to keep things simple and logical when it comes to salaries. The right salary for a position is what other people pay to get that work done. You can argue that the open market isn't the fair way to determine the value of someone's work, but that's a philosophical argument, and we actually live in the real world. So if you pay too little, your prized employee will leave because they know it's a business transaction. If you pay too much, you're doing a disservice to those people who count on you to run your organization in a fiscally responsible way. And I would also argue that you're giving your employee a false sense of their worth, which could hurt them further down the line. So the pay should be determined by the work that's required, not the candidate. It shouldn't be based on what the candidate made previously or whether or not you can get them to work for less or, in the case of overpaid CEOs, if they sit on your board and if you overpay them, they'll overpay you. A salary should be based on the job. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday, and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.